All right, well, we're there in James chapter number one. And if you remember last week, we started uh, this uh, brand new uh, book of the Bible. Uh, We're going to be going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of James. And last week was kind of more of an introductory uh, sermon. We got into a little bit of the first uh, verse and the second verse, but we spent a lot of time just kind of introducing the book of James and uh, explaining who James was and all those different things. Tonight, we're going to get into the text and we're going to get about halfway through. We're going to make it probably to about uh, verse 17 of James chapter 1. And then next week, we'll do the second part of James chapter 1. So we're not, we're going to take our time through the book of James because there's so much Uh, in here. We don't want to uh, go too slow, but we want to make sure we cover everything thoroughly. And there's only five chapters, so we can uh, go in and take the time to do that. If you look at verse uh, number one again, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greetings. Verse two, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. So, it is in the beginning of, of this chapter, James is going to begin to talk about this idea of temptations. And I want you to notice, first of all, that he says diverse temptations. That word diverse means various or several. The idea is that there are various types of temptations, several types of temptations. And you need to understand this in Scripture. There are different types of temptations that the Bible talks about in Scripture. Keep your finger there in James chapter 1, but go with me to Genesis chapter number 22, just real quickly. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it should be fairly easy to find. Genesis 22. James said, my brother encounter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, different types, various types of temptations. You need to understand, in the Bible, the word temptation is used for two different types of temptations, and uh, I just want to teach that to you tonight and kind of explain to you these different types of temptations that you may uh, come across, and James covers both of them in his passage, but I want you to notice Genesis 22, and, I'll, and look at verse number 1, Genesis 22. This is a very famous story about Abraham. You may be very familiar with it. James chapter 22 and verse 1, the Bible says this, and it came to pass after these things that, I want you to make note of this phrase, God did tempt Abraham. Do you see that? God did tempt Abraham. And I want you to remember that because in James, we're actually going to see later on in the passage that God does not tempt man. But I want you to understand that the words tempt there are two different types of temptations. Here the Bible says that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. Remember, Abraham comes to, or God comes to Abraham and says to him, I want you to take your son, I want you to sacrifice him. Now, if, if we won't take the time to read uh, Genesis 22, although I would encourage you to do it if you're not familiar with the story, you know at the end of the passage that God never intended for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. It was a test to see whether Abraham would be obedient. So here at the beginning in verse 1, when it says God did tempt Abraham, that word tempt there means he te- it means tested. It comes from the word attempted or, or uh, adventure. The idea is that God is putting Abraham to a test. And I want you to know, the first type of temptation that we're talked about in Scripture here in Genesis 22.1 and in James chapter 1, we'll see, is this idea of testing or trials that God puts us through. Go back to James chapter 1. Look at verse 2 again. James chapter 1 
and verse number two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, remember, various or several types, different types of temptations. Now notice verse three, and here's what you got to understand, okay? We must, as biblicists, allow the Bible to define itself. We cannot come to the Bible with a preconceived idea. This is what I think. This is what the Baptists teach. Or this is what the church I grew up in teach. And this is what I, you know, uh, the Bible has to fit my idea. We have to allow the Bible to define itself. So notice, he says, when you fall into diverse temptations, then he defines the word temptations for us in verse 3. He says, knowing this, that the trying, do you see that word trying? That the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's basically using these two words, temptations and trying, interchangeably. And he's letting us know that sometimes we are tried or we go through a trial or we are tested or we are tempted in the same way that God did tempt Abraham and God puts us through temptations and times of trials and tribulations and you got to understand this as a Christian from time to time God will test you God will come to you And God will put you, He will put you in a position, He will put you in a place where He's basically testing you to see where you are in your Christian life. God did tempt Abraham. He said, what do you want me to do, God? I want you to sacrifice your son. He said, the son that you promised me, the son that, you know, I'm not able to have children. I mean, it it was your miraculous promise that gave me this one child that that I have, God. And, And God says, yeah, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham was put to a test to see whether he was willing to obey, whether he'd be more loyal to his son than to God. And in the same way, we are told here that God will put us through diverse temptations and that God will sometimes try us or test us and put us through trials. And here's what you got to understand. Notice this phrase, the trying of your faith. Do you see that? See, we like to talk about faith. And that's a word we throw around a lot as Christians today. Oh, the, my faith is, and my faith that, or I have faith in this, or I have faith in that. But you know what? We don't really know the type of faith you have, or how much faith you have, or the kind of faith you have, until it has been tried. And you got to understand this. Trials do not create faith. Trials do not create faith. They simply reveal faith. Trials, it's not like you go into a trial and God, you know, that causes you to get, you know, the faith. You go into a trial and then that trial shows us whether you have faith or not. Keep your finger there in James. Go with me to Proverbs just real quickly. Proverbs 24. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 24. Trials and Troubles and tribulations and temptations and adversities are things that we will go through in the Christian life that God will put us through and tempt us to see. See, sometimes God's going to put something in front of you and just to, just to see, are you going to take it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to go? Are you going to sacrifice your son Abraham? Just to see. And here's the funny thing. God is, you know, God is the one who gave Abraham his son. Wouldn't it have been silly? For Abraham to not be willing to serve God with the son that God gave him. But God will often do that for us. Proverbs 24, you're there. Look at verse 10. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. The Bible says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, that word adversity there is talking about a trial or a trouble. He says, Thy strength is small. See, a trial simply reveals who we really are. It's easy to talk tough when you're not going 
through anything. But often God will try our faith. Often God will put us through testing to see what we're really about. Go back to James chapter 1. Look at verse 2 again. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, now notice what he says. He says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, you got to ask this question. You say, why would he tell us to count it all joy when we are going through a trial? Why would he tell us to count it all joy when we're going through a storm in our lives? When we are, uh, you know, when we're struggling, but there's something hard happening. Maybe it's a health issue, or maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe you're being asked to do something, and, and you feel like, oh, God wants me to do this, but I don't really, that's not what I want to do. Or God's asking you to not do something that you do want to do. And it's a test, and God just wants to see where you are in your spiritual walk. And James comes along and says, Hey, when that happens, when you get tested, when you get tried, when you go through hard times and struggles, he says, that's a great place to be. He says, in fact, count on all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And I would have to ask James, and I think you'd ask the same question, why? What's so good about a trial? What's so good about a temptation? Abraham would say, what's so good about me taking the next three days to pack up my bags, to to get my servants ready, to take my son up to Mount Moriah with the idea that when I get up there, I'm going to have to sacrifice my son. What's so good about that? Why would I count that all joy? Now notice verse 3. He answers the question. He says this, knowing this. He says, here's why you should count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh Patience. You see that word patience there? That's a foreign word for us as Americans. Patience is not something we like, you know. We've got microwaves and drive throughs We've got, you know, it used to be you want to communicate with someone, you, you wrote a letter, you sat down, you folded it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, waited three weeks to hear back. Now you send a text message. Now you send an email. You guys, some of you let us know when you're, having breakfast and using the restroom and doing who knows what else on Facebook. You know, you're updating everything you do. Patience is not something that is common in our culture today. But patience is a great thing. In fact, James said, hey, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this is the trying of your faith, worketh patience. Now keep your finger there, James chapter 1 and verse 3. And go to Romans chapter number 5 and verse 3. Romans, you know, so many people like to put Paul and James at odds with each other, especially because of James chapter 2. And we'll deal with that in a few weeks when we get there. But here you have Paul basically saying the exact same thing that James was saying. In James 1.3, he says this, Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, Romans chapter number 5 and verse 3, I don't want you to notice the similarities here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 says this, And not only so, but we glory. Now that word glory there is talking about showing off or enjoying or liking. Basically, here's what he's saying. He's saying we take joy in, notice, in tribulations. Do you see that? Now, the word tribulation means affliction or persecution. It means trouble. It means trials. It means temptations. And here's what James said. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And then Paul said, he said, we glory in tribulations. Why? Why, Paul? Why do we glory in tribulations also? Knowing that tribulations worketh what? Patience. Do you see that? See, God says, I'm going to put you through trials. 
He said, I'm going to put you through troubles. He said, I'm going to put you through affliction. He said, I'm going to put you through testing. I'm going to put you in the fire because here's what it will produce, and that's patience. He said, the good thing about trials and temptations is that they produce patience. So then you got to ask the question, what's so good about patience? You know, he said, well, counter all joy when you fall into trials. And you say, well, what's so good about a trial? He says, well, what's so good about a trial is that it produces patience. Then you say, well, what's so good about patience? What do I need patience for? Look down at your text, James chapter 1, look at verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, I want you to skip down just real quickly to verse number 12. And I want you to notice a synonym for the word patience used in the text here. And you will find this throughout Scripture. Verse 12. He said, blessed is the man that, now I want you to notice this word, endureth, endureth temptations. For, the word for there means because, when he is tried. You notice how he's saying temptations, trials, temptations, tried. He's using these words interchangeably. He says, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now here's what he says. The trying of your faith worketh patience. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth. Now here's what you got to understand. Sometimes we think of the word patience, especially in our, the, the way we use the word patience today, it's a passive type word. We tell our children, be patient. You know, lunch is almost going to be served. Okay, stop asking me. Just wait and, you know, we'll bring the food out. Be patient. We usually think of patience as a passive thing. I have to go to the, you know, DMV, and I better bring with me a whole lot of patience, right? Whenever you deal with the government, just bring patience with you. Because the problem with the government is they don't have competition, so they can give you the worst customer service ever. And can you tell that I've been to the DMV recently? You know, they give you the worst customer service ever, and you just have to sit there and take it because you can't go to the competitor because there isn't one, right? So that's what we think of patience. We think it's passive. I got to wait. I got to stop. I got to just let things run their course. But in the Bible, the word patience is not passive. It's active. The idea of patience is not just kind of sit back and wait. But the idea of patience is this word endure. It's an active type thing. Let me give you a perfect example. Are you there in the book of James? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, Wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. He says, and let us run with, notice this word, patience, the race that is set before us. See, the word patience is not passive, it's active. The idea is that you are enduring a race. You know, you think about like a marathon or a marathon runner. They've got patience, but it's not patience like I'm sitting here waiting for the DMV to call my number. It's an enduring. It's a, it's, this is hard. This is tough. I don't like it. My body doesn't like it, but I'm going to work through it. I'm going to keep on going. It's a continuing. It's an, it's, it's the ability to keep going. And the Bible says that patience, and it uses this idea of patience and endurance together. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Go, go back to James. Look at chapter 5. Just real quickly, go to James chapter 5. Let me show you one verse there. James chapter 5. 
I just want you to see how in the Bible, the word patience is endurance or enduring. It's keeping, you know, staying in something or continuing something that is difficult. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us is what the Bible is saying. James chapter 5, look at verse 10. James chapter number 5 and verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example. Now he's saying, I want you to use the prophets as an example. An example of what? Of suffering affliction. Now the word affliction and tribulation are the same word. The word affliction and tribulation are used synonymously. So he says, I want you to take the prophets as an example of suffering affliction and of what? Patience. Of endurance. See, sometimes you're going to get afflicted. Sometimes you're going to go through trials. Sometimes you're going to go through financial heartaches and relational heartaches and problems in life. And uh, the Bible often will illustrate them as the storms of life. We'll, we'll help go through those storms and we'll go through those trials and we'll go through those temptations. But when you're going through that, it's easy to complain and it's easy to murmur and it's easy to throw yourself a pity party. Because pity parties are fun. I mean, I love pity parties, you know. I want to throw, I want to throw myself a pity party. I'm going to invite all of you, you know, to throw it with me. Because it's fun to just get down and say, man, I can't believe all of this is happening. But here's what James says. When you're going through trials, count it all joy. You say, why? Because the trying of your faith worketh patience. It works endurance. It helps you continue. It helps you maintain. It keeps you going. He says patience, endurance is is a good thing. Notice verse 11, James chapter 5. Behold, we count them happy. Doesn't that sound like count it all joy from James 1, 2? He says, we count them happy, which what? Endure. Do you see how this word keeps getting just used interchangeably? Patience, endure. He says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Then James 5, 11, he says, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of... You ever heard of this guy named Job? Amen. You've heard of the patience of Job, right? Did you hear of the endurance of Job? Remember everything Job went through? Remember all the trials Job went through? Remember all the heartache that Job went through? If you haven't read the book of Job, I, especially if you're going through something, I'd encourage you to read Job. Job lost everything in one day. Job was a rich man that lost, God had blessed him financially, lost all of it. Then his children died. Then his wife turned on him and said, curse God and die. And Job's response was, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, you, we've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. The idea is this. You say, what, what are temptations? Here's what a temptation. Here's what James is trying to teach us. Sometimes we go through temptations and those are trials. Those are tests. Those are opportunities that God puts in front of you. And he says, here you go. I want to help you grow. I want to help you mature. And notice, that's what happens when you go through trials. Can you get back to James chapter 1? Look at verse 4. Now, do you remember last week we talked about what's the purpose of the book of James? And the purpose of the book of James is to bring us to maturity. It's Christian growth. It's Christian maturity. And here we find in verse 4 the purpose of trials. James chapter 1, verse 4. But let patience have her Perfect work. You say, why? That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He says, you will be complete. The word perfect in our King James Bible means complete. When, you know, it means whole. It means to be entire. And he says, you'll be mature. You'll be entire. You'll be 
perfect if you allow patience to have her perfect work. You say, well, how can I get patience to allow it to have its perfect work? By going through trials because the trying of your faith worketh patience. You say, so when I'm going through a trial, that's a good thing? You ought to count it all joy. You ought to seek that opportunity. You ought to realize that the reason we were put on this earth is to be like Christ. And remember, Christ went through trials. Christ went through hard things. And in the same way that Christ dealt with those through endurance, we need to remember that patience will create in us a endurance. It'll help us. Now, I don't know if I told you to keep your place in Romans 5, but can you get back to Romans chapter 5 just real, real quick? Romans chapter 5. Sometimes God puts you through trials. Let me ask you this question. Can you identify a trial in your life? Can you identify a time in your life where God put a test in front of you? And, and, and God said, hey, here's a test. Let's see how you do. Here's an exam, a spiritual exam. Let's see how you deal with it. God is going to do those things in our lives. You say, well, why would God do that to me? To make you better, to make you stronger. You understand that when God puts you through fire, it's to make you a better version of you. I mean, Job, Job said, you know, that when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. The idea is of, of, of being put through that purging fire. And as you're put through that fire, it will remove all the, the impurities and you'll come out just cleaner and purer and purified. And you'll be purged. And that's what God wants to do in you. He wants to make you a better version of you. You say, how does he do that? Through trials. Through temptations. Are you there in Romans chapter 5? Look at verse 3. And not only so, but we glory. We take joy in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now notice verse 4. And patience experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. If you read the story of Job, do you think that Job probably went through some hard times after what we read about in the book of Job? I'm sure he did. But let me tell you something. The next time Job got sick, you know what? He probably wasn't that worried about it because patience produces experience. And experience produces hope. Do you remember the story in the, in the Gospels when Jesus was out in the sea with the disciples there? And he was asleep in the ship. Do you remember that story? And they were all scared and afraid. And they were saying, you know, we perish. And he said, dost thou not care? He said, why are you sleeping? And Jesus stepped out to the ship and he said, you know, be still. And he calmed the storms. He calmed the ship. Now, here's what's interesting about that story. Is that the next time we hear about the disciples out in the middle of the sea and a storm arises, Jesus is not with them. Remember, the, the next time it happens, Jesus is out on a mountain praying. Now, here's what they should have done when they were in that storm, and Jesus wasn't physically there. They should have said, you know what? I remember this happening before, and I remember that Jesus was able to calm the storm, and I remember that Jesus was able to take care of us, and I remember that Jesus was able to to do. And see, that patience should have produced some experience, and that experience should have produced some hope that if Jesus was able to get me through the storm the first time, he'll be able to get me through the storm the second time. But you know where they failed is the same place you and I failed. They just got scared. And what did Jesus have to do? Remember, he walked on water to them. And when he gets to them, what does he say? The same thing he said to them before, fear not. He said, be not faithless. He said, just believe. He said, I'm trying your faith. He said, I'm putting your faith on trial. He said, I put you on a test, and you failed. 
And I wonder how many of us fail. When God seeks to make us better and stronger. When God, you say, I'm going through a financial problem. Okay, well, God's just trying to make you stronger. Don't be so upset about it. In fact, count it all joy. Because when you get through it, you'll have some experience. And when you have some experience, you'll have some hope. And when you have some hope, it will not make you ashamed. And you will actually end up being a better version of you. Because trials produce patience. And patience produces experience. And experience produces hope. Can we get back to James chapter 1? Now, we went up to verse 4 there, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's the goal. The goal is for you to become a mature Christian. At the next time you're through, going through a storm, you can say, I've, I've been here before. I've experienced this before. I have hope. I know. I know in whom I have believed. I under, I, I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. I have faith. That's the goal. Now, we're going to skip verses 5 through 11. And we're going to come back to it at the end of the, of the study tonight. But I want you to skip down to verse number 13. Now remember in verse 2, and if you want to look at verse 2 quickly, just look at it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Remember, there are different types of temptation. The first temptation we saw there is that temptation that God put Abraham through when it says God did tempt Abraham in Genesis 22.1, which was a trial, which was a test, which was a trouble, a tribulation. But in verse 13 here, we find a different type of temptation, a diverse temptation from the first temptation. Verse 13 says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Now, some people would look at this and say, here's a contradiction. Let me show you a contradiction. Genesis 22.1 says God did tempt Abraham. And here it says to not say that God, I'm tempted of God. Okay, but this is a different type of temptation. Notice, notice verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted... This is a different type of temptation. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted. Now, here's the key words, okay? With evil. Do you see that? Now we're talking about a temptation to sin. And you'll notice the Bible will define this here in a second for you. He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. And the idea is, you say, well, didn't he tempt Abraham? But here's the difference. Neither tempted he any man with evil. Do you understand that? God is never going to tempt you to sin. God is never going to put a sin in front of you and see if you'll take it. Now, he might put something real hard in front of you. He might put something real tough in front of you. He might ask you to sacrifice something that you really like and really care about and really love. God may ask you to sacrifice something that you really want and test you that way, but he's never going to put a sin in front of you and tempt you because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted the any man, and the idea is that he doesn't tempt any man with evil. Notice verse 14. You said, well, how are we tempted with evil? How are we tempted to sin? Verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn. That word drawn means pulled or dragged away of his own lust and enticed. The word lust means desires. The word enticed means an allurement or an attraction, an appeal. People run around saying, the devil made me do it. Why do you commit adultery on your spouse? The devil made me do it. Why do you, you know, steal on the job? The devil, you know, the devil didn't make you do anything. Your own lust enticed you and drew you into sin. We like to blame the devil for a whole lot of things, but let me tell you something. The devil doesn't have to do a whole lot of work on us to get us to sin. Our flesh does a pretty good job at trying to get us to sin. It says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So I want to give you some uh, some some 
it's Bible study night, so let me give you some things about uh, this word lust. The word lust means desire, and usually when we think of lust, we think of like a, a, a physical relationship type of connotation. But let me show you that the word lust in the Bible definitely is used for that idea, and I'll show you that, but let me show you that it's used in other, in other types of ways also. Go to Psalm 78, just real quickly, Psalm 78. Again, if you open up your Bible, just right in the center, more than likely follow in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. And look at verse number 18. The word lust means desire. Psalm 78 and verse 18. Now, in Psalm 78 and verse 18, the Bible says this. Psalm 78 and verse 18, it says, And they tempted God in their hearts by asking me. Now, the word me in our King James Bible means food. Okay? So it said, They tempted God in their hearts by asking me. Now, remember, these are the children of Israel going in the wilderness. God has been providing you know, manna for them and all those things. But they're complaining about what they're getting and they're wanting different types of food. They're wanting different types of meat. Now notice what it says. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their what? Lust. Say, people can lust after food. You ever heard of gluttony? Look at verse 29. So they did eat and were well filled for he gave them their own desire. Notice how the word lust and desire is used interchangeably. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths. And we won't keep reading, but I want you to see. Here we find people lusting after food. Lusting after something that they eat. Go to, go to Proverbs chapter 6. You're there in Psalms. Just one book over. Proverbs chapter 6. You have, of course, a lust for food in Scripture. But, of course, you also have the lust of the physical relationship. Uh, a lust of, of fornication and, and that type of sin. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24. That's how we would normally use the word in our uh, terminology. And that's definitely something that the scripture talks about. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24 says, To keep thee from the evil woman. You young men ought to memorize Proverbs chapter 6. Keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. Verse 25, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. The Bible talks about not lusting after this evil woman, not lusting after her beauty. Go to Romans chapter number 7. Jesus said, you know, to, that if you lust, you know, in your eyes, uh, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart, is what he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 25. Romans chapter number 7, look at verse 7. So you have a lust, which is food. You have a lust, which is a physical relationship with, with a woman here. He's say, talking about not lusting after her beauty. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Now today there are a whole movement of Christians who say the law is bad. Law is not good. We shouldn't ever preach the law. We shouldn't even talk about the law. We're under grace. You know, and these people are ridiculous. We've always been under grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The only reason, the Bible says that we, the only reason we're not consumed is because of the mercies of God. We are not consumed. His mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's what Jeremiah says in the Old Testament. People say, oh, in the Old Testament they were under law. In the New Testament we're under grace. We've always been under God's law and we've always been under God's grace. That's right. The law has always been and always will. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is what the Bible says. But the grace of God has always been available. And here Paul says, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He said, is the law bad? He says, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. See, the purpose of the law is to identify sin in us. 
And notice what he says. He says, I had not known sin, but by the law. He said, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't even know what's wrong. And by the way, the only reason that murder is wrong is because God said it. Do you know that? Tell, explain. If the, if the evolutionist thinking that is put out by our you know, modern culture and the public school systems, and if the evolution that is being taught today, that we came from monkeys, we came from apes, there is no creator, we're just accidents, we're just animals, we just happen to make... If, if there is no God and we're just a bunch of animals, then why is it wrong for me to kill you? Or for you to kill me? The only reason anything's wrong is because God said thou shalt not kill. The only reason that there's sin is because God gave us a law because He is our Creator. And notice what He says. He says, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law... Notice what He says. For I had not known lust, except the law had said... Thou shalt not covet. Do you see that? Now, the word covet is talking about wanting materials. You know, we covet, Bible talks about not coveting people's houses or, or wanting something that we don't have. You can covet your neighbor's wife is what the Ten Commandments say. And you shouldn't covet your neighbor's house and you shouldn't covet your neighbor's property. So the idea is that lust is a desire, is I want this, I want that. You go to the mall and you say, I want that, I want this, I want this. That's covetousness inside of us. And here the Bible tells us that we can lust after food, we can lust after a physical relationship, we can lust after things. That's what the word lust means. And you need to understand this. When we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust. There is a flesh, a simple flesh inside of us that desires things that do not belong to us. You're there in Romans? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're almost done. We'll be done here in 15 minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. You're there in Romans? Just one book over. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse number 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6 says this. Now these things were our examples. Now he's talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, which is what we read about in Psalm 78. But notice what he says. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust. He said, why, why do we have these Old Testament examples? Why do we have the Old, Old Testament story? So that we won't sin like they sin. So we will not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 6, skip down to verse 13. Now here's the key. You say, well, I'm tempted of my own lust. I am enticed by my own lust. I'm drawn away by my own desires when I'm tempted to sin, when I'm tempted to do evil, when I'm tempted to do wrong. I am tempted by those things that I want. And if you remember, we did a, we did a series not too long ago on the temptations of Christ. Remember that? On, on Sunday mornings, uh, just at the beginning of this year. And what were those temptations? Food. Turn these stones into bread. What were those temptations? Things. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms. See, it's always a temptation based on our desires. Now, of course, Christ did not sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. That's what the Bible says. He was tempted. See, you can be tempted and not sin. So, well, when does a temptation become sin? When you are drawn and enticed in your own lust. But see, here's, here's, here's the good news and the bad news, all right? Let me give you the good news and the bad news from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Ready? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look at what it says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There's nothing you're going through that you're the only one. People, often people want to talk and counsel with me because I'm a pastor and I'll, I'll talk with them. And I usually have to end the conversations pretty quickly when, people, when I can tell people are in this idea. Well, no, you don't understand. My situation's different. Listen, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
Well, Pastor, you understand. And, you know, I know what the Bible says, but in my marriage, it's no, no, no. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. Whatever you're going through, someone else went through. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying I went through. But you know what? Anything that you struggle with, anything that you go through, any temptations that you have, someone else has gone through the same thing. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer. That word suffer means allow. He will not suffer you. He will not allow you. Here's the good news. To be tempted above that ye are able. Isn't that good news? God will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to handle. The good news about temptations is that you will never be tempted above that ye are able. Here's the bad news. Ready for the bad news? You will never be tempted above that you are able. <laughs> Say, why, why is that bad news? Because every time you've sinned and every time you've fallen into a temptation, every time you've gone down that wrong, wrong road, you did not have to. Because God will never allow you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. See, God will never allow a temptation into your life without also with that temptation making a way to escape. You say, what's the good news? The good news is this. You'll never be tempted above that you're able. What's the bad news? Every time you fell for temptation, you fell for something that you could have handled. You didn't have to fall. You didn't have to sin. You could have escaped. You didn't have to go down that road. See, the problem is this. We are enticed of our own lust. We are drawn away by our own desires. Galatians 5.16, and you don't have to turn there, says this. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The only way to not fulfill the lust of the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. And by the way, the reverse is true. When you fulfill the lust of the flesh, it just shows that we're not walking in the Spirit. Can we get back to James chapter 1? James chapter number 1. And look at verse look at verse 14 again just real quickly. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Don't try to tell me you've got some demon and that's why you sinned. Don't try to tell me, well, the devil made me. No, no, no. We are tempted, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And here's the result of sin. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. See, when I allow my lust to conceive, the idea there of conception is a a producing birth. A male and a female will conceive and they'll produce something. When I allow my lust to conceive with a temptation, the Bible says, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Remember Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin will always bring death. It'll bring death to you physically. It'll bring death to you spiritually. It'll bring death to your marriage. It'll bring death to your finances. The result of sin is always death. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And by the way, remember Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that the righteousness of God might be made manifest in him. And he actually took our sins upon us, and that's why he said on the cross, it is finished. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, go, Go back to James chapter... Uh, let's see, James, look, look at verse 16, then we're going to go back to verse 5, and then we're, we're going to finish up, okay? 
verse 16. Let me just say this. There are some people who say, oh, I don't sin. I just make mistakes. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a sin. I, I, just, I just messed up. Okay, well, then James covers you too in verse 16. He says, do not err. The word err means error. He said, I don't want you to sin, and I don't want you to make any errors. I don't want you to sin, and I don't want you to make any mistakes. He said, do not err, my beloved brethren. Because here's the thing. You can call it a mistake all you want. Oh, it wasn't a sin. I just messed up. Look, but you know what? The result is still death. The result is still sin. The result is still not something that you want. So he says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Can you get back to, to James chapter 5? I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5. Remember we skipped verses 5 through 11? Now, here's why we skipped verses 5 through 11. Because in, in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and James chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, we find two different types of temptation, diverse temptation. The first temptation was a trial, was a test that God puts you through to bring about patience and endurance in your life. The second temptation was an enticement to sin, was when we are drawn away of our own lust, and it brings sin and it brings death into our life. The same word, but two different types of temptation. Now, in, chat, in verses 5 through 11, which are put right in between these two types of temptations, he gives us some uh, advice for how to deal with temptations. Now, here's why he gives us his advice between both the temptation of a trial and the temptation of being enticed to sin. Here's why. Because the advice works for both. Okay? So we'll run through these real quick, verses 5 through 11, and we'll be done. Look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. When you are being tempted, you need to ask God for wisdom. You say, well, what kind of temptation? It doesn't matter. If you're being tempted by God as a trial, as a trouble, as a tribulation, as an affliction, as a test, you need to ask God to give you wisdom. And if you're being tempted by your flesh or the world or the devil, and you're being enticed to sin, you need to ask God for wisdom. And this is a great verse. You got to memorize. I, I quote this verse to God every day of my life. I pray and I said to God, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I told God, you have to give me wisdom, God. You said you'd do it in James 1.5. You have to give it to me. He said he, he, says he give it to, uh, liberally. He said he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So you say, well, I'm going through a trial right now. I'm going through a struggle. I'm throwing, going through a hard time. Ask God for wisdom. You say, Pastor, I am struggling with sin. I'm going through a real hard temptation. I'm being drawn away of my own lust. Ask God for wisdom. It works for both. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Remember the trying of your faith. Now, here's the key words. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Notice what he says, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When you are under temptation, you not only need wisdom, but you need to be stable. You say, when I'm going, what, what if my temptation is a trial? What if I'm not being tempted to sin? I'm just, I'm just going through a storm. It's just a hard time. You need to get stable. You need to be like Hezekiah. We learned about Hezekiah on Sunday night. Run to God. Run to the house of God. Run to the man of God. Run to the word of God. Don't run away from God when you're going through a trial. You need to run to God because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You say, well, what if my temptation is is an enticement to sin? Then you need to be not unstable. Same advice. You need to just get stable. You need to just get, stop wavering. You need to just ask in faith. Look at verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice 
that he is exalted. So he says, if you're a brother of low degree, and we're going to get more into this in James chapter 2, but he says, maybe right now you're going through a hard time, you, and you don't have a lot of money, and you're just, you know, you're just poor. He, say, he says, let the brother of low degree rejoice when he is a God. So when you get a job, when you get a raise, when things start going better for you, when things start getting uh, good in your life, hey, he says, rejoice, not, knows for sin. But the rich says, you're, you're wealthy, you're doing well, you're successful. The rich in that he is made low. So let's say you lost your job. Let's say you lost the raise. Let's say your business went bankrupt. You say, I was doing well, but now, now we understand the brother of low degree. He is to rejoice when he gets exalted. But here's what we don't get. The rich in that he is made low, that he should be exalted, that he should rejoice. You say, well, why would he rejoice? Why would he count it all joy? Why would a rich person who loses everything want to count that all joy if they're a believer? Here's why. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. You say, What? He said, for the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So, he says, in the same way also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Say, Pastor Jimenez, you lost me. What are you talking about? Go to James chapter 4, just real quickly. We'll be done here in like two, five minutes, four minutes. It's 8, 11. We'll be done in four minutes. If you can get to James chapter 4, real quickly, all right? Just a few pages. James chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Say, What? See, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through an affliction, when you're going through a storm, when you're going through something that's hard in your life, or when you're being tempted by your own lust and your own flesh and enticed to sin, you ought to remember this, that this world is temporary. James chapter 4 and verse 14, Whereas ye know not what ye shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. My wife's grandmother, who lived with us for almost a year, my wife took care of her grandmother for almost a year, uh, passed away uh, this week. And uh, we were thinking of taking our boys, or well, good night, I can't say boys anymore. When you got two boys and two girls, you can't call them all boys, right? <laughs> we're thinking of taking our children uh, over to their property in, in uh, Reading, that, they, that my wife uh, has a lot of memories there. And we were thinking, yeah, I wonder if we'll get like in trouble or something, you know, because it's this big property, but someone else probably owns it now. And we're just thinking about the, how frail life is. And they had this nice property, all these acres, but you know what? Now it belongs to someone else. Because what is your life? It is even but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. See, he says, hey, rich man, you lost your job. Don't worry about it because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. He says, in the same way that the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass. He says, the same way is your life. You say, Pastor, I'm going through trials. I'm going through struggles. You're in shed. I'm having health problems. I'm having financial problems. I cannot maintain. Here's the great part of it. Your life is a vapor. It just appears for a little time. And one day you'll get to heaven and you'll be with God for eternity and it'll just seem like nothing. Paul said the, the, the trials of this present world, he said the, the, the persecutions of this present world, he said they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. See, I'm, I'm struggling. Here's, here's a good thing. Your life is short. It's like a vapor. It's like a flower that gets burnt up and it fades away. You ought to remember that. See, before you go away and throw away your life, on drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that your lust is enticing you to do, just realize my life is short. 
It doesn't t- I don't have to live righteously that long to get that crown of life. It appears for a little time and vanisheth away. Go to James chapter 1 and verse 17. We're done right here. We'll make it to verse 17. Next week we'll pick up at verse 18 and we'll finish the chapter. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Say, what do I need when I'm going through a trial? What do I need when I'm being enticed to sin? Here's what you need to remember. God is sufficient. See, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I can't imagine what it would feel like to lose a child. Job did. And Job said this, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because every good gift is from above. See, everything you have. See, we like to complain. Well, God, I lost this and I lost that. And I, can't, I, I used to have this and I used to make this much money and I used to have that. But here's the thing. Everything you had came from God. And if God takes it away, that's okay. All I need is God. Because God can give it back. God can take it away. God can do whatever he wants because God is God and I'm not God. And my life is just a vapor. And I'm just here to glorify God anyway. And if I'm going through a trial, maybe I'd account it all joy. Because God is just trying to make you and me a better version of you and me. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.